Hi, everybody. Welcome to Trek Trek. Uh, it's a podcast where I and some other folks are going to be watching Star Trek episodes and talking about them. Uh, my co-host is Randy Nelson. Hey, everybody. How's it going, Randy? That's uh, going all right. Uh, you know, you didn't uh, mention it's not just any Star Trek. Uh, yes. And in this particular case, we're going to be watching Star Trek Voyager. Um, it's a much maligned series. Uh, but I haven't seen it since its original debut back in uh, 1995. So, yeah, I don't so know. I want to watch it again, right? Yeah, I want to revisit it, see if it was really as bad as I remember. Here we are. We watched the pilot episode, which is called uh, Caretaker. Take- Caretaker. Yeah, it's a two-parter. Uh, they both aired on the same day, uh, Monday, January sixteenth, nineteen ninety-five. Oh man, that was almost. Wait, oh, this is kind of fitting. That was like what, almost ten, twenty years ago. <laughs> Oh wow. wow! Okay, I feel so old now. <laughs> yeah, me too. So this, we're gonna retitle this as the Star Trek rewatching Star Trek makes us feel old podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was uh, a fourteen year old uh, in high school. So yeah, I think I just graduated high school. But I mean, this really was kind of the. I, I mean, I'm I'm got it playing in the background right now, and yeah, I've got to say it's it's not too bad. I mean. They haven't remastered this one, obviously, um, and who knows if they ever will. But, you know, for something that's like 20 years old, I've got to say, it doesn't look half bad. Yeah. Yeah, they put some money into it. Yeah. I mean, it's surprising that the 24th century looks still looks pretty okay <laughs> in the uh, 21st century. So, uh, yeah. So let's just start talking about it. Um, I kind of wrote notes as I was watching so it's in chronological order. Okay, I wrote some too. Um, and yeah, it was it's kind of different. This isn't the first time I've done this kind of thing where I've kind of done a recap or a kind of commentary on a on a show. So yeah, think of this as a book club, but we're watching episodes instead of reading books. Oh, okay. Yeah, that seems like a good idea. Um, this show started out very oddly. It started out with a title crawl talking about. Uh, the conflict between the Maquis and the Cardassians. Uh, the Maquis and the Cardassians were, you know, a bigger storyline in Deep Space Nine um, and Next Generation, I think. Yeah, that actually, when I went back and watched this, I thought it was pretty unusual that it starts with kind of a Star Wars-esque title or all this, like, catching us up on all this stuff that's been going on on, uh, I guess, primarily DS9, right, at this yeah. point? Because mm-hmm. this one, you know, I was kind of... Uh, I was I kind of had forgotten that this actually was after DS9 had uh, started airing. Uh, so I was like, oh, right, right. This I remember that the Maquis played a role in this. Uh, I remember that the Cardassians, they don't really play a role in the show, but it was kind of, you know, set this whole thing up. Right. Uh, so it came up with this, this title crawl. I was like, oh, by the way... Uh, if you haven't been watching DS9, then wait, hold on a second. Uh, 
you're probably not a Star Trek fan. Yeah, it was. Uh, this was the heyday of Star Trek TV shows. You had TNG, which was great, and then a, the, the spinoff directly from that was Deep Space Nine. Um, the events of Deep Space Nine started from Wolf Three Five Nine, which is when uh, Captain Picard became Locutus. And then you have this. You have Deep Space Nine going, and then you have Voyager starting as Deep Space Nine is on. Wait, were they all on at the same time? Uh, no, Next Gen ended before Voyager began. Okay, okay, but DS9 and Voyager were yeah. at the same TNG time. TNG and Deep Space wow. Nine were on at the same time at, uh, at a certain point, and then mm-hmm. Space Nine and Voyager were on at the, at the same time at a certain point. And now we have no Star Trek on TV. Yes, and now we have no Star Trek, <laughs> unfortunately. Ah, I want to go back to the 90s so bad. <laughs> Yeah, this was yeah, this was a great time to be a Star Trek fan. Well, I say that, but then Voyager, you know. I mean, <laughs> well, well, we'll we'll talk about how our feelings have changed or how we've, you know, how we view this 20 years removed, <laughs> almost 19 years removed from it. Yeah, so it was it started with this title crawl, which I thought was kind of strange, and then uh it opens up with Chicote, Torres and Tuvok. Uh you don't see any of like the Starfleet people. Mm-hmm. It's all just the Maquis. Uh, so that was kind of interesting. You, mm-hmm. you would think with a Star Trek show called you know, Star Trek Voyager, you would start with Voyager. but Right, no. It's like these rebels, like the, the Rebel Alliance, kind of. Mm-hmm. I guess not really. Now that I think <laughs> of it. I mean, they're, I guess they're against the Federation. Um, but, you know, not quite. I mean, the Federation isn't something anyone except maybe the Maquis view is like a big kind of evil entity or at least a entity they want to rebel against right yeah because the federation has a alliance with or not alliance but they have you know a peace treaty with the right you're right that's what they're ticked off about right yeah the, like the the maquis who mm-hmm. in this case are represented by chakote and and his guys on the i think the ship is called the valjean oh which that's that's appropriate. <laughs> Which is interesting. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen um, Les Miserables, that's like the main guy mm-hmm. in, in this. So it's the French Revolution. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, then the opening credits kick in. Uh, this is, th- oh, well, what happens is Chakotay and his crew, they fly into the Badlands to get away from a Cardassian ship. Then they get zapped by this white light. Mm-hmm. And then the opening credits kick in. Mm-hmm. And my note was here is music is awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really like the Voyager opening theme song. Yeah, I mean it's Jerry Goldsmith, right? Yeah, Jerry Goldsmith. So Mr. Goldsmith once again comes through with a great Star Trek opener. Yeah, we get to see the ship for the first time, and we get to see that it has the folding the cells. Yeah, you know what? I just now that you bring that up. You said it was odd that we don't meet the cast or the we don't meet the bridge crew of the Voyager in the kind of teaser. I guess that's kind of what it's called before the credits. And then we the first time we see the Voyager. I mean, if you hadn't seen anything about Voyager before this and I don't know about you, but I know that I had been like really following like everything Star Trek at the time. So I'd seen like tons of pictures of the, the voyager but if you had never seen anything about voyager at this point the first time you see the ship is in the opening yeah. or the, the opening credits yeah it was a yeah it was a little bit weird to introduce mm. the ship that way yeah, it's different i think there's, there's quite a few different things about this series actually so mm-hmm. uh and then we go to earth and we go to the uh, penal colony in New Zealand. Yeah, like that. That's different. Yeah. <laughs> There's a penal colony on a Star Trek show on Earth. Like, wait, they had those? 
and we're introduced to Captain Janeway and uh, Tom Paris. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom Paris, when I first saw the show, I thought it was he was is played by Robert Duncan McNeil. I thought mm-hmm. he was playing the same role that he did in the Next Generation episode, where he was part of uh, uh, not the Academy Starfleet Academy. Right. And then he got that huge trial with Wesley Crusher and everything. Mm-hmm. So you think, oh, wait, what? Like, I, was, I was like, oh, well, he got arrested, so that's why he's, you know, on this penal colony. But no, he's playing a different character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've seen some, some different shows where they do that sometimes, where they there's be like someone like him that's like prominently featured in a previous episode. And then when they are reintroduced later, they're like a totally different person. Yeah. You see that a lot in star Trek. Uh, Tony Todd plays a variety of roles. Right. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, you see a, a lot of the same actors come back as mm-hmm. different roles, different people. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we see deep space nine. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, so that's, yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. And this is the, you know, the glory shot of Voyager. This is where, uh, where I wrote down, Exposition Bazoid explains about Voyager. <laughs> right. It's kind of like, if you've been watching uh, DS9 up to this point, oh, there you go. They're at DS9. So clearly there's a, a crossover here. Yeah. And then they're going to say, like, oh, Voyager has, you know, this kind of warp drive and mm-hmm. do all that's, you know, you know. All the... It's so cool. They're, it's like the pitch. They're selling you on the Voyager. <laughs> They're talking about how it has like a neural network and organic circuitry. And... Right. And then we see Quark, a Deep Space Nine character, mm-hmm. and Morn, which is pretty great. Yeah. Uh, and we're introduced to Harry Kim, mm-hmm. who is the ensign. You would think that in a way that he would be the surrogate audience because he's an ensign. He's new to the world of Voyager. But I guess Tom Paris is our surrogate audience because... Tom Paris was like on the shuttle flying into Deep Space Nine and got the whole spiel about Voyager. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you get the sense that he's been kind of, you know, just from the the whole scene with with uh, Paris and Janeway that you know he's been kind of excommunicated. Um, obviously, he's in prison um, or in a penal colony, uh, and he's been kind of kind of kicked out of Starfleet. So yeah, so he's not up to- back in. He's not all up on what's going on in Starfleet. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So Janeway calls him in because she needs help finding the Maquis, and Tom Paris worked with Chicote before. Mm-hmm. Um, then we see Harry Kim on Deep Space Nine. He gets tricked by Quark. He's yeah. saved by Tom Paris. <laughs> I love, I mean, it's classic uh, Ferengi, classic Quark kind of scene, but I just, you know, every time Quark is involved in something, it's just extra cool. Yeah. So. And you get to really see the contrast between Harry and Tom Paris. Uh, Tom Paris, his uniform is much more uh, loosely zipped. Like, uh-huh. And then Harry Kim is completely straight-laced. Like, he's zipped up all the way on his uniform. Mm, yeah, I didn't even... Good catch. I didn't quite notice that. I mean, T- Paris definitely has kind of that Kirk-like swagger to him. Yeah. He's all flirting with that uh, Betazoid uh, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. later on. Um I wrote. I wrote down. He's a creeper. <laughs> <laughs> he's a creeper. The other thing I note. I the note that I had about Paris, and it, it kind of, 
it kind of speaks to a lot that's happening in this first kind of third maybe of the show or I guess it kind of the, the, the pilot rather and I guess it kind of continues on later but there's a whole lot of like backstory it's like this like crazy over blown amount of backstory yeah there's like, so much exposition like we're hearing about like everything about paris like his dad's like uh an his admiral. dad's an admiral and like all this stuff and we're like whoa like like i'm not gonna remember all of this stuff even later in the episode like maybe you could introduce that later it was like they were just trying to put everything up front mm-hmm. to get you to care about these characters right exactly yeah it was it I mean, the the title crawl is emblematic of this crazy exposition exposition overload, mm-hmm. where they're just like, "We gotta tell you about the Maquis, we gotta tell you about Cardassians, we gotta tell you about Federation penal colonies, we gotta tell you about these characters." <laughs> right. It's like just let it happen. Yeah, just let it happen. It, right. It definitely is not following the show don't tell method. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's definitely doing the tell don't show. Right. Uh, and then we see Janeway um, in her ready room, and you see her private life. Yeah, I thought that um, the note that I had was uh, that it's interesting that we see the first time we see the new captain on the show is like her private life. Um, and is there is there her husband that she's talking to? Yeah, her, I'm kind of not clear on that. So it's her husband. They're having like a really private conversation, and that was something that um, I mean, we never got on the original series with Kirk really at all. And then um, Picard was just so kind of um, you know he was so such a mystery. Like he he put up his shields, he <laughs> raised his shields against his private life. And so the first thing we see with the first female captain is her, you know, getting kind of, you know, uh, what's the term? I guess she's she's getting kind of smooshy. I don't know. With her yeah. yeah, that was a a little bit odd. Uh, I wrote down it was a pet the dog moment, which is something in writing where it's like you can tell a character is good because he pets a dog. Mm-hmm. And it's almost literally a pet the dog moment because they're talking about this uh, puppy. This yeah. dog had puppies. Take care of the puppy. Yeah. That kind of thing. Or take care of the dog and the puppies. And, and yeah. uh, I'm sorry, you know, mom's got to go work or... <laughs> <laughs> Your wife's got to go work out in space. Uh, uh, so it's definitely different. And then uh, Harry Kim and Tom Paris show up. And I wrote down a note. Janeway really wants you to know that she's a captain. Because <laughs> Harry Kim is like, sir. He calls her sir. And then she's uh-huh. like, don't call me sir. And he's like, ma'am? And he's like, no, call me captain. Call me captain. I'm the captain. Yeah. So as, as a little bit of a side note to this, uh, I won't regale you with the full story, but just, I think it was just before. So maybe it's like 1994, uh, just before Voyager premiered, uh, I went to a Star Trek convention down in, in Southern California in Pasadena. And, um, it was, it was pretty awesome because it was, uh, DS9 and TNG were on pretty much the, the full cast roster from those shows were there. Uh, a lot of the original series roster was there. And then, uh, they had actually, it was the first kind of public appearance of a lot of the Voyager people and it included Kate Mulgrew, who is Janeway. Uh, and you know, the whole focus of, uh, at that time was, oh, this is the first female captain on a Star Trek series. Um, so it was interesting. I mean, you just kind of hear her, her reaction to that. And, and it doesn't surprise me at all that, 
you know, she came back with Captain. Call me Captain. <laughs> uh, let's see what's next. Um, forgettable Doctor and First Officer. So exactly. You can. You know what's going to happen to those characters. Uh-huh. Uh, because, I mean, especially if you've been following any of the kind of the press or the previews around the show, uh, you know that they aren't the actual, you know, first officer and, and the doctor. So it's kind of like, oh, I'm meeting the dinner before it's killed and served to me. Kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so Voyager flies into the Badlands. Uh, space Badlands. There, there are Badlands in space. Yeah, sure. apparently. Uh, yeah, they find the Badlands looking for Chakotay and uh, and the the Maquis, and uh, yeah, they get zapped too, and they get launched to the other end of the galaxy. Mm. And, and it's not Q this time, of all things. <laughs> yeah, Q Q is not responsible. Um, That's a was, really Q like move, isn't it? It is. It definitely <laughs> is. But no. So the first officer dies. Uh, the doctor's dead. And we're introduced to the uh, emergency metal medical hologram. Oh yes, he is awesome from the get go. Yeah, that's exactly the note that I had too. I mean, he immediately Robert Picardo, who is kind of awesome and everything. Um, yeah, he just steps out and he he has his line, and and he's just awesome. Like you're immediately like, whoa, this guy has been playing this role for like. Five seasons? Like, what's going on here? Yeah, he's just... He's so terse and exasperated in his whole, like, <laughs> tricorder. Medical tricorder. It's just like, <laughs> a great line. Yeah, I was ready... I was ready to love the doctor. The... Uh, sorry, emergency medical hologram. I was ready to love this character from the moment uh, he spoke. Yeah. Yeah, Robert Picardo just kills it as the, as the doctor. It's awesome. Um, let's see. So, they're taken to the South. The American (laughs) South. As you, you know, would be if you're flung uh, all these light years, 70,000 light years across space, right? Yeah, and not just, like, the American South of the 24th century. It's, like, the 20th century American South, you know? And... Yeah, the the note I had here was, well, not to give too much away because we haven't talked about this yet, but why are they, like, this is supposedly, I guess, the most relatable thing for the whole crew of the Voyager, which includes, you know, multiple alien species from the 24th century. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was really weird. I was just like, I guess, I mean... As an audience member, I get what they're going for, but within the context of the show, it didn't make any sense to me. It makes zero sense whatsoever. And and also, um, you know, when you have to think about this, like times in, in pretty much, you know, this is not new at all. This idea that crews of uh, the a starship are uh, kind of abducted and taken to something that's been recreated for them uh, based on kind of 
you know, something in their psyche or, you know, like the aliens have scanned one of the crew members' memories. I think, you know, it happened in the original series at least a couple of times. Um, and it, I think it happened in Next Generation. Uh, and, and it's always something that's based around, like, you know, if one of the characters really loves, you know, American history or something, they'll be taken to, like, this, you know, the old West or, you know, something like that. But in this case, I was thinking, well, what, like, whose, whose memories did they scan? <laughs> like who was thinking about like the 19th slash 20th century earth South? Yeah. It's because the show gives you so much exposition, but nobody is from the South as far as right. I know. <laughs> so anyways, as you were saying, uh, yeah. So they end up there and, uh, they're exploring it, and they find out this was the alien that took them uh, from the Alpha Quadrant into what they later learn is the Delta Quadrant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they find out that uh, Harry Kim is missing, and uh, as well as Belana Torres. Mm-hmm. So we've not really, we've barely seen up until this point. Right. We, we saw we, teaser at the beginning. We find out that she is half Klingon, half human, mm-hmm. because she has to throw that in when Harry Kim first interacts with her. <laughs> Whenever possible. <laughs> she has to reference her Klingon side. Just so you know. Just in case, you know, as a diehard Star Trek fan, you couldn't tell from looking at her. She is at least part Klingon. Um, yeah, and then I have this note here. Janeway is more broken up about Harry missing than all the people who died earlier in the show. Exactly. She, you know, she doesn't really get, you know, as the captain of the ship who, you know, we'll we'll hear later that she really, you know, there's a lot of exposition around how much she cares about her crew members. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that's, I mean, as we continue to watch this series, that's something we see a lot. Like she is like mama bear of the, (laughs) of the Voyager. Like, I don't know if any other captain has ever talked about how much they care about their crew. Uh, But yeah, for someone who, who talks about it so much. He really just didn't seem phased by, you know, I don't know, a significant portion of the Voyager crew dying after they're flung through the, you know, like several quadrants of the galaxy. Yeah. Like her first officer died. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Someone who we assume we're, you know, we, we should just, we're kind of led to believe she's known for a while. He's her first officer. Yeah. Uh, so we never see her mourning for those characters, but then we have this extended scene where she's talking about Harry Kim and Harry Kim's mother and how Harry Kim's mother contacted Janeway. Right, right. Like, she's really, like, invested in the safety of Harry Kim, <laughs> who who I think this is she's just met for the first time. Yes, yeah, so it's the first time she had met her. Yeah. I mean, I was invested in Harry Kim because— Yeah, right. I mean, speaking as an Asian American, I was like, it was nice to see an Asian American on TV. Yeah, it was. And and that was another thing that was kind of like, oh, we're upping the diversity. I mean, we had a African-American Vulcan. Yeah. We and had. we'll talk more about Tuvok later. <laughs> Tuvok's pretty great, too. Tuvok's awesome. Um, so they're going to be looking for uh, Harry Kim and Belana Torres. So as they're exploring the, uh, this region, they encounter Neelix. <laughs> uh, and I wrote down, they just happened upon Neelix. Okay. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, there's a little bit of a, of a, of a reason why they're right. Because, um, they've, they've found, no, wait, I'm, I'm getting a little out of sequence here. They, they found that there's like a space station mm-hmm. that, that this is all this, uh, this whole hoedown in space is all kind of a, a holodeck simulation, or at least some kind of hologram, grammatic 
simulation. Right. Um, and the, the, their people are actually on this, this space station, this array, if you will. Yeah, they call it the array. Um, yeah, and it turns out that this array has been pulling ships from all over the place. Mm-hmm. And that's why there's all these junkers, and that's why Neelix is exploring these junkers looking for scraps. Mm-hmm. Oh, so it's a, it's a planet nearby, yeah. right? Okay. Uh, he's on a ship uh, when they first find him. Oh, right, right, right. But there's a planet nearby. Yeah, yeah. That we'll talk about in a second. Yeah, Neelix, Neelix is on a ship. He's looking for stuff, and he's like, do you have water? And, the, mm. and we're like, oh, well, we have yeah. all the water. Uh, so, yeah, we can make water. What? What is this sorcery? So Neelix, uh, so Janeway recruits Neelix to help look for her. I mean, to you know, have a guide for this area of space. Uh-huh. Uh, Janeway's doing a lot of recruiting. She recruited Tom Paris to get help for the uh, Maquis, and now she's getting help from uh, Neelix. Uh-huh. I just thought that was kind of, I don't know if interesting, but something worth noting that. Yeah, you know, it's definitely that mirroring. A, uh, yeah, it's definitely a different sort of situation. It's also kind of, I don't know if it's, I don't know if we're at the point yet with, I mean, this is just still the pilot and, Oh, you know, we, we didn't talk about that. The fact that, so this was um, written by a guy by the name of Michael Piller, who, uh, you know, I was researching him before the show, and um, he, it turns out that he also did the DS9 pilot, and he also did, uh, he also wrote, rather, uh, The Best of Both Worlds, which is, you know, the classic Picard, Locutus um, uh, episode of TNG. I mean, he he, he wrote a ton of uh, TNG and DS9 episodes. But um so this isn't his first time at to the Star Trek rodeo. Um and when you talked about how you know she's kind of recruiting people and then there's that whole kind of smoopy, you know, scene, the the petting the dog scene. I mean, th- she's doing a lot of different stuff. Yeah. Like she's 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 doing that. She's kind of really like exercising her power. Like I'm the captain. I can recruit people. Clearly. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, she's She's a different character for sure than mm-hmm. previous captains. And she's kind of, she, yeah, she's not, she's not the nicest person. <laughs> <laughs> she's very serious, I guess you'd say. Yeah, she's I, extremely serious. I, I don't know if I, uh, maybe later in, in, in Trek Trek, uh, I will reveal the the nickname I have for, for <laughs> it's not the nicest. Um, but anyways, uh, sir, continue. Yeah, I'm. <laughs> Well, I mean, she is very. I mean, I think that's why they threw in the whole petting the dog and the mm-hmm. moment with her husband, and like the moment where she's, you know, lamenting Harry Kim's disappearance. Like, they have to show her that she's human because mm-hmm. throughout the rest of the show, she's very like just stern. She's intense. Yeah, intense. her face. She's so intense. <laughs> uh, so Neelix says we got to go down this planet. The Kazon Ogla can help us. Or mm. the case on Oakland know something. Mm-hmm. So we're introduced. The space Oompa Loompas, you mean? The space Oompa Loompas, yeah. They really... <laughs> I just couldn't get over it. They totally look like Oompa Loompas. Yeah, so we're introduced to the case on Ogla, the new alien race. Um, they're living in, they're like a tribal uh, society. They're mm-hmm. living in this village this in the middle of the desert. They really want water. I mean, water is a huge commodity there. Um, so Voyager's like, we can give you water, but we need help. Mm-hmm. Um, but it turned out that Neelix went to them so he could rescue Kess. Yes. 
who is an Ocampa. Ocampa. Not an Ocampo. No. An Ocampa. Ocampa. <laughs> yeah, so we're introduced to Kess and the Ocampa. Um, I was I wrote down, we can identify with the Ocampa because they look more humanoid than the Kazon Ogla. Mm, right, so they're clearly the good guys, right? <laughs> yes, of course. Or are they? Because they're kind of abducting people and yes, performing uh, medical experiments on them. Yeah, as it turns out that it was uh, Harry Kim and Bologna Torres are with the Ocampa uh, underground mm-hmm. uh, in this underground facility that uh, looks very familiar to us. Yes. So my note was uh, that that's the L.A. Convention <laughs> Center, at which Justin and I know uh, all too well because it's where the E3 Expo is held every year. And so, um, you know, obviously the first time I saw this in 1995, I'd never been to the LA convention center. I'd never been to an E3 before, but when I finally, um, this is probably the second time I've revisited this in, in the past couple of years, when I finally watched it again, I immediately was like, it's the LA convention center. Oh my gosh. Like I've spent so many hours upon hours in this place. Uh, wow. It's not even like a set. It's just a convention center. Mm-hmm. Which also, by the way, a, a little tangent here, is is a setting in um, the classic, I guess, John Woo movie Face Off. Oh, I, <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. When um, when um, there, there's a scene that's supposedly in a, uh, a, a cathedral, and um, uh, I always forget all of their names, but uh, the, the bad guy uh, is, is dressed as a priest. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, it's so say I like Imagine Center. Uh, yeah, and then something else that happened is that the Maquis and, and the Federation crew, the Starfleet crew, are, you know, working together now. Because mm-hmm. they want to get their people back. Yeah, and uh, they want to, I guess, get back to the Alpha Quadrant. Right. Um, so they find out that the Ocampa are underground. They're going to talk to Kess about how they can get underground to rescue their people and i wrote down wow they got underground quickly because mm. it seems like just a scene later they're underground already they're already kind of tooling around in the ocampa city right yeah they're already walking around the la convention center <laughs> right oh, they're back at earth <laughs> good job the end of the end of series um and then they're escaping because what the case on ogla attack or or something. They get down there? No, they don't get down there, but the Kazon Ogla have starships. Mm, right. And the Ocampa I, are down in there, and there's, like, this kind of whole thing about the Ocampa. Like, why are they underground? Uh, they talk about the care... Oh, well, we haven't talked about him yet. The caretaker. Well, I mean, we could talk about it whenever. I mean, this is under the assumption people have seen the episode. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, true. There's the caretaker. There's the, I mean, there's the caretaker who's been, well, taking care of the Ocampa. <laughs> Because he owes them some debt. That uh, cannot be repaid. Yeah, and we don't know what it is at this point in the show. Um, but yeah, the kids on Ogla show up with starships, and I was so confused. Because they're like this tribal society living in the middle of the desert, but they have starships? Mm-hmm. Why are they not living on the starships? <laughs> yeah, they have starships. Um, they've obviously got some... They have a problem with the Ocampa, yet... They choose this moment to start bombarding the Ocampa city from their starships? Yeah. Hmm. That was really weird to me. Uh, 
I'm just like, if you, they have starship. They're, the thing that case on over the one is water because they live mm-hmm. on a desert planet. Why do they not use their starships to go look for other planets that might have water? Exactly. Uh, no, no one knows because Star Trek. I don't know because because necessity for the plot apparently. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that in this episode. Um, so as the Voyager crew is trying to get topside so they can get beamed back up to Voyager, uh, you know, Chakotay gets hurt. Paris comes back to rescue him. This is Paris's arc from being mm-hmm. a huge jerk in the beginning of the pilot to the end where he's like, oh, I'm going to rescue Chakotay now. And who had also kind of had a falling out with Chakotay and the Maquis. Yeah. Right? Or he was captured, I guess, on their mission. And he, and Paris is like, oh, I'm only saving you so that you owe me a life debt. <laughs> oh, what? Is he a Wookiee? <laughs> Oh, Chicote. Chicote sounds a bit like it could be a Wookiee. Chicote Chewbacca. <gasps> <laughs> but uh yeah, I mean Tom Ferris, this is his arc. He's he's a good guy now. We can... mm. Or is he? Uh, well, kind of. He he did it to have an, a life debt owed to him. So So anyway, Voyager's fighting the Kazan in space. Uh for some reason Voyager with their advanced Federation technology is having problems finding the Kazon again. Mm-hmm. The Kazon are so advanced, you know, in star fighting, fighting among the stars. Uh, against, yes, against a, a space battles against a, a apparently a new ish top of the line starship. Yeah, like what are they doing on this desert planet? Oh god, that drives me crazy. Uh, so Voyager goes to the array or Janeway goes to the array and talks to the caretaker and they have a talk the caretaker says or was Jane with Janeway and Tuvok went right yeah and they're basically it's the caretaker kind of reveals the whole kind of thing yeah he's, he's been cr- the, he's, the plot he's been t- Tuvok figures out that the reason the caretaker has been t- pulling all these ships in and giving tons of energy to the Okampa is because the caretaker is dying Mm-hmm. And uh, he needs someone to replace them, replace him, so that you know they'll take care of the Okapa because he feels guilty because the, the caretaker is part of an alien race that did an experiment on the Okapa's homeworld and destroyed all the landscape and got rid of all the water and everything. Yeah, and did something to the atmosphere where it can no longer rain on the planet. Right. So it's kind of like that's why it's a desert planet. Right. So he feels totally guilty about it. Yeah, so that's why he's been taking care of the Okampa. <laughs> but this, so this plot gets even more convoluted. And that's like my overall note for this, the pilot, was that the the setup for this, inst- it could have been they fall in a wormhole. <laughs> <laughs> and they get shot out, you know, into the Delta Quadrant, but it's this it, it's this super involved plot of, you know, the caretaker and everything. I mean, it's kind of, you know, it's Star Trek and it's it's interesting that there's kind of a twist to the whole thing and it's I guess in a way it is kind of Star Trek like. But there, there's just all of this. And there's also this element that uh the caretaker can't reproduce the caretaker had kind of a female caretaker counterpart that he could reproduce with, but she decided to ditch him 
and go off somewhere else. So he's been looking that like the whole reason that the Voyager is even there is that he's been looking for like suitable mates or something. Yeah. So he's been pulling ships from all over the galaxy using this advanced technology <laughs> just to basically get a date. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't think of it that simply, but yeah, you're absolutely right. That's yeah, that's really dumb. <laughs> So, anyways. Oh, man. This, oh, Voyager. Uh, so, the caretaker dies. He becomes a turd. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I guess he kind of does. That, that's my only takeaway from the caretaker's true form, is that he becomes yeah. a turd that Janeway picks up. Yeah, he's a little poop. Uh, so, the Kampa, or the kids on Ogla want to get to the array so they can destroy the Okampa or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, Janeway's like, we gotta destroy it. And everyone's like, what are you doing? We want to go home. This is our only way home. Mm-hmm. Like, nope. I gotta violate the Prime Directive. Because Tuvok's like, <sighs> Tuvok's yeah. like, you can't get involved. This is violating the Prime Directive. She's like, yeah, nope. getting involved in their evolution or their fate or, you know, like, this is like the reason for the Prime Directive. Yeah, she's like, no, F that. I'm saying, F the Prime Directive. I'm going to destroy this array. Uh, So they do. Mm. And then uh, the Maquis have been added to the Voyager crew. They got Mm. snazzy new uniforms. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they're not all very happy about it. No. That's the whole point of the show, I guess, is the (laughs) tension between the Maquis and the Starfleet. Um. Tom Paris, he gets his commission back, becomes lieutenant. Mm-hmm. Um, Just a whole lot of arbitrary stuff going on here. Yeah, sure. And then <laughs> Janeway has a speech saying, we will find our way home. Uh, we're we're going to look for the other caretaker creature. Mm-hmm. But basically, this is the launching point for exploring a new part of the galaxy or whatever. And so... Yeah, right. So they, there's just so much. It's like everything but the kitchen sink. And I guess maybe the kitchen sink is there because Neelix is, <laughs> you know, on top of everything else, he's also a expert chef. Yeah, of course. So there's just so much here. It's like they decided every possible plot point we could try to milk for something later on, we're going to just discuss and bring up in this pilot. <laughs> and then we'll add some more. Yeah. Uh Final thoughts on this episode. Uh, it was really boring. Yeah. For a lot. Of, I mean, there's just so much exposition crammed into it. Mm-hmm. There's just the characters other than the doctor and maybe Tuvok. The other characters are really not that interesting. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of characters. Um I, I think like Chakotay is introduced in the beginning. He's the leader mm-hmm. of the Maquis or this crew of Maquis. But mm-hmm. He does nothing throughout the entire episode. Mm-hmm. He's like a background player. Um, Janeway is just like, she's just mean all the mm-hmm. time, except for the occasional points where they're going to say, Oh, she's not really that mean. No, she is really cares about her crew. Yeah. And, I don't know, like, Neelix, I just found him to be really annoying. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kess is a non-character at this point. Right. Neelix is kind of the, my note is that he's kind of the Jar Jar of... Yeah. Of yeah. Star Trek in this, at least 
well, I mean, we'll talk about him in, in upcoming episodes, but, um, you know, he's, he's definitely the kind of comic, he's the comic relief, right. um, which I don't know. I mean, Quark is kind of, DS9, he's, he's definitely a comic relief, but, you know, he's not just so kind of overtly slapstick and just kind of overtly kind of, you know, kind of, I exist only to be goofy. Yeah, I mean, the whole scene where he's in the, his quarters taking a bath. And he's used the replicator to create this gigantic feast and, yeah. you know. And there's all these, like, cups of water everywhere. It's just like, come on. Mm-hmm. Well, clearly, you know, they they were expecting we're going to have a whole lot of, you know, uh, Neelix versus the straight man being uh, being Tuvok. Right. Like, oh, we're going to have this relationship between the most serious person on the crew. And, you know, Tuvok, I mean, Klingon, or, uh, the Klingons, Klingons are serious. Vulcans are serious. But, you know, Tuvok is kind of the proto-Vulcan. He's just <laughs> so straight-laced by the book Vulcan. Yeah. Which is interesting that he was undercover as a Maquis. Mm-hmm. Like, of all characters, why would... I, I, I guess the Maquis would trust that, though. They'd be yeah, like, and he's also... I mean, it's it's revealed that, you know, he's the head of security, so that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, you're used to... Uh, pretty much always when you, you see Vulcans, they're always a science officer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we learned that Janeway was a science officer uh, mm-hmm. under Tom Paris's dad's command. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's also does engineering because mm-hmm. like there's that whole section of the right where she's in engineering, like trying to fix the warp drive. There's a like a micro fissure in the fissure in the in the warp drive, and there's a chance that they're going to have to eject the warp core, which is like you know one of the most serious things that can happen on a starship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she ends up being the one that comes up with the way to to fix the warp core. Yeah. I was just, <laughs> my note was Janeway can do it all. Apparently. Right. Right. Like she's just, like, okay. I get it. They want to show that she's a strong character because mm-hmm. like, Oh, it's the first female captain or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, really? Like she does literally everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My, I mean, my overall thoughts on the episode, um, kind of my takeaway was that they just, you know, I kind of said it earlier. I, I agree that it was it was a boring episode. Like this, this was a. I mean, it had the feel of kind of a mid season next generation episode, kind of like not one of the kind of a throwaway episode of next generation. Yeah, I mean, we've definitely had this sort of caretaker ish, um, you know, space entity as a you know as the main. Uh, alien character, the main like pivotal plot point of an episode on Next Generation before. I mean, it's happened in in original series. It, it kind of is just a something that you see a lot of in in Star Trek in general. Um, uh, so you know, you've got this reveal. I mean, I, I keep thinking about Encounter at Farpoint. You know, you ha- if you know uh, that wasn't. If you think kind of think about it, that one you had Q, who was kind of. Uh, abducting the entire ship and the entire crew and putting them on trial. But then you also had this thing that was going down on a planet. Um, I don't know. I just think that there are some, some pretty, you know, uh, 
some some pretty obvious similarities uh, between the two, except that th- that was just, um, you know, even though a lot of people will say and agree that the season one of Next Generation was was probably its weakest um, and and that the that the pilot for Next Generation wasn't, you know, the greatest thing that's ever been uh, committed to film, that that this one w- was really like kind of a, a middle of the of the season next generation episode it was it just kind of not a lot happens it's it's interesting that it's a it's a basically a double episode it's like an, a 90 minute episode um and really i think it could have been done in probably you know the scope of a normal episode mm-hmm. if they just cut out a lot of unnecessary stuff uh case in point all of the like the ridiculous amount of exposition and character and like character backstory. Right. Um, but I mean, maybe they felt the need to, you know, kind of have, you know, that all in there because it was a pilot. Um, also, you know, I kind of, I mentioned this earlier, but the whole idea that, you know, rather than have it be simply something, something happens and that they're flung, you know, really far from home. It, It has to be this whole kind of convoluted explanation. Yeah, and it really didn't need to be. Like you and, said, they yeah. could have just gone through a wormhole and, and and then or maybe just have it be mysterious. We don't know why. We don't something happened. There was a malfunction with the warp drive and we're, you know, something happened in subspace and, you know, we fell through a rift or uh I mean, I'm not saying I could write a better episode of the show. Um, you know, not at all, but just, you know, it seemed kind of needlessly complex. Also, um you know, when it comes down to the whole reason, you know, one of the notes I had is basically if Janeway had just followed the prime directive and followed the advice of, of Tuvok, the most logical person on the Voyager, um, the whole series would never have happened. <laughs> like if they had used, if they'd used the array to send the, themselves back to the alpha quadrant and just let whatever was going to happen with the, the, you know, the uh, Ocampa and the Kazons unfold, um, they, they would have been back home and, and that would have been, it would have been kind of like a single episode of a show. Right. But you know, Janeway, she has such a conscience apparently Mm. that she can't, she can't live with that. But does she have such a conscience or does she have such a like adherence to Starfleet code? Like, (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's like, what? You can't have one or the other, you know? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I guess we kind of have to ask ourselves, like, what would, what would, uh, uh, like, any other Star Trek kind of captain have done? You know, what would... Um, well, Kirk has violated the Prime Directive plenty of times. Sure. And, you know, I guess Picard... I mean, but I just wonder in this case, what would Picard have done? Um, I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, it is weird because she is so much about, by the book, so much about rules, so stern. But then at the very end of the episode, she's like, no, I'm not going to listen to the Prime Directive this time. Mm -hmm. It definitely sets the show up. You're definitely kind of like, well, this isn't uh, normal Star Trek. You know, we got the, I mean, we knew going into it that the whole, like, the overall high-level premise of the show was that they're going to be on a ship that's in a completely uncharted uh, quadrant of of the galaxy, so we're going to be seeing a lot of aliens and other things that have never happened before, and, um, you know, 
this was the big exploration show after Next Generation was off the air because obviously DS9 was in a traditional Star Trek show. So they're like, well, let's complement it with a uh, with a traditional starship flying around. But how, you know, everyone's seen that before. We're, we can't make the next next generation, so let's make a different area of space. So here's how we're going to set it up. I mean, it's a good basic idea. Uh, mm-hmm. It's hard not to compare this show to Battlestar Galactica. Mm, yeah. Uh, because I I think many people have noted that Battlestar Galactica shares similarities with Voyager. And some people, I don't know if Ron Moore himself has said this, but Ron, it's kind of Ron Moore's version of Voyager. It's- right, right. Because he was, I think at the time, he was primarily working on Deep Space Nine. Yes, and he so, did work on Voyager a little bit, mm-hmm. but it's you can you can see those similarities of a of a group of you know a group of people kind of on a, a caravan through space trying to get. I mean, they eventually, you know, they on this show, and I mean, like I said, we'll talk about this coming up. But uh, I mean, it does become kind of like you know we're on this caravan back to Earth, and they pick up stragglers along the way, and you know they have threats that keep coming back to to visit upon them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is our first step into the wonderful world of Voyager. Right. So how would you say you feel about like if, if you hadn't already watched in the past, I know we're, we're the both of us are just kind of coming back to this after, I don't know, for me, it's definitely a few years. Um, But so we're coming back to this. How, how does this make you feel about our trek that we have before us here? Uh, I'm not really looking forward to it. I'm being reminded <laughs> of why I hated Voyager. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I do want to go into this with an open mind. I want mm-hmm. because maybe I'll pick up on stuff I didn't notice before, mm-hmm. or or maybe some stuff that I hated when i was younger alexa like i mean it has been almost 20 years right so that's a good point and also you know the two of us have seen a lot of other science fiction between you know we've read and watched and played a lot of other science fiction between then and now and maybe i'm thinking it possibly my my kind of positive outlook on this is that you know, my experience with other stuff is maybe will give me a better appreciation for this. Um, because I will say, even with this as kind of all over the place and just kind of messy as it is, it's not, I wouldn't say that this is horrible. (laughs) It's not bad. It's just not, it's just boring. And I mean, it, it really, it, has the star it feels like star trek at least like it has that kind of you know next gen ds9 like it's clear that you know a lot of the same people worked on it and you know it at least it seems like a star trek series uh it's just my hope is that the the writing gets a lot better right yeah um yeah i don't want to go into this adventure as like Oh, that we're, I'm going to hate on Voyager or whatever. Mm-hmm. I really, I genuinely do want to just see these episodes again with my, you know, current mindset mm-hmm. and say like, 
and you know, just look at them and say, you know, that wasn't as bad as I thought. That's what I'm hoping for. Is yeah, me too. That it wasn't as bad as I thought. Mm-hmm. Well, we're on this adventure together, and we'll have friends <laughs> along the way. So yeah, we, like, you won't be doing it alone. Like Voyager, we will have more people joining our crew. Yes. Hopefully, seven of nine will show up at the. <laughs> <laughs> she makes everything better, right? Oh, so course. why not a podcast? <laughs> of course. Uh, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. And we'll talk to you later with episode three of Star Trek Voyager, Parallax. Ooh, can't wait. Which I don't think has anything to do with the DC Comics character. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah. just throwing that out there. Yeah, thanks, everyone. <laughs>